you. Thank you, Shelley. We're in the book of 1 Peter here this morning. I want to say thank you for being in God's house on a Sunday morning. Of course, Pastor Myers is out up at a pastor's conference. He will be back on Thursday, so pray for his safety while he is out. I was in the hallway, and Brother, uh, Brother Ross was trying to let me, get me to let out early again this morning. And so, now, he's preaching tonight, so hold him to the same standard that he wants to hold us to, okay? But first, First uh, Peter chapter number one, <clears throat> thanks for being here in spite of the rain. It was not on the forecast, was it? And so I'm also responsible, I'm responsible for the children's classes and children's ministry, so we're strategizing how to get all the kids' classes out of the rain this morning. God willing, God willing, sometime this summer, maybe sooner, we will be in the entirety of this building, not just using half of it, and we'll have so many more classes, the gymnasium, to be able to use for our teenagers, more adult Sunday school classes, right? And so that is a blessing. Thank God for what he's doing here. And I hope that we don't get used to it. I mentioned in our Sunday school class today, I'm thankful for how God is moving. Of course, Satan always tries to throw a, a wrench in the tire, right? He's always going to try to do something. But if you look right up there, uh, we, got, we just got 120 more chairs to try to fit up here. Why? Because we, we need more chairs to fit everybody, right? God's doing something here. And I hope that we don't get used to what he's doing. You know, a lot of churches don't see maybe people saved every week. People baptized regularly. And so we get to be a part of it. Let's not get used to it. Again, thanks for being here in church. The Bible says, and by the way, especially as this world gets darker and darker, we need more church. We don't need less church, right? Now, we are supposed to be in the world, but what? Not of the world. And how can we be in the world, functioning in it, but not of it? Come get under the preaching of God's word and see what God says about living life, right? And then go out from this place and live our lives as God would have us to. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we are. We're going to start in verse number 1. <clears throat> and before we do, let's give a little history, a little background of the book. You say, what's going on here? In the book of 1 Peter, first, uh, excuse me, Peter is writing the letter to, and he's going to give the groups he's writing to, because around that time, the culture in which he lived became increasingly antagonistic toward Christianity, towards the early church. Can you not feel that a little bit today? Yeah. Right? But they became increasingly antagonistic. Now, nothing, uh, we, what we go through is nothing compared to what they went through. It was so bad that there became state-sanctioned persecution against the churches. To the point where they would imprison. And so who Peter is writing to here, we're facing torture, state sanctioned, imprisonment, death. In fact, it got so bad that you've probably heard this before. Nero, the emperor of Rome, Caesar of Rome at the time, he would douse Christians that they would capture. He would dip them in oil or douse them in oil and hang them to stakes along his path. And what they would do is they would light the Christians on fire. And the Christians would be the nightlight for Nero and his people to have light as they walked down at nighttime. That was what these people were facing in 1 Peter chapter number 1 and in the book of 1 Peter. Peter understood that suffering and trials are a part of the Christian life. There is a sect of Christianity You'll see it. There's one on, I won't call the street, but there's one in, in, in the church name. The church header is Stop Suffering, right? Y'all seen that? Or God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? 
then uh, uh, God wants there to be no, no trials in your life. Well, the truth is God wants what's best for us. Does he not? But prosperity preaching and health and wealth preaching is not biblical preaching. We'll see that for a minute. And sometimes in the course of the Christian life, you can be doing everything you know you ought to do. Sometimes not. We'll talk about that too. But suffering and trials are a part of the Christian life. The word suffering is found ten times in just five chapters here in this short book, as well as temptations, part of life, trials, part of life, and other words that shed light on the fact that suffering and trials and hard times are a part of the Christian life. Now, whereas Paul is called the apostle of faith, John is called the apostle of, do you know? Love, right? So Paul, faith, John, love. The apostle Peter is the apostle of hope. You say, why? Because in his writings, though he covers suffering and trials extensively, he's always talking about our blessed hope, which is to come. And in chapter number one, the point that we're going to make that Peter made in this chapter is this. It doesn't matter what goes on outside these walls. It doesn't matter what goes on outside of our lives, outside of our control that comes our way. It doesn't matter the internal struggles and pressures of life, and stresses that come our way, and hardships that come our way, we can still live the life that God wants us to live in spite of it all, if we understand our blessed hope. You know, every once in a while, and he's going to write the first five verses about heaven, we'll talk about that in our salvation. Every once in a while, as God's people, it would do us well to stop and to think about our blessed hope. If not... We're apt to get like Solomon. Pastor preached a great series not too long ago on a, I forgot what it was called, brother, a confused individual, right? The whole book of Ecclesiastes is a commentary on Solomon who had what? Everything he ever wanted. And what was his conclusion at the end of the book? I hated life. Did he not? He said, I hated life. Why was that? Well, the theme of the book is under the sun. And if we get caught up on only the temporal and what we can see as opposed to the eternal and what's coming our way, we can get disillusioned. But if we realize that we have a blessed hope through salvation, we have a home in heaven that's awaiting us, we can still live the way God wants us to live. Amen. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 1 to 5, and talk about that for a minute. When we realize we have a blessed hope, everything's all right in my father's house. We realize we have that blessed hope. We can sing and mean it. It is well with my soul. And so let's talk about what Peter said here in 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 1 to 5. Let's look here. First of all, he says, Peter, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, a wide range of areas here where the, where the Christians had been scattered, and Bithynia. Look here. I love this verse. Elect. We'll talk about that in a moment. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. Now, most of the time, Scripture is so rich. Is it not? You ever have just a good, bold, flavorful cup of coffee? How many coffee drinkers out there? Come on now. Yes, I knew I'd speak your language. This is a Baptist church. We have to have coffee drinkers. But you just drink, and it's just so rich. You know what I'm talking about? 
And, and, and then they had the coffee connoisseurs, right? That they, they take a sip and they say, this has notes of chocolate, tobacco, all that stuff, all right? And so, <laughs> seen that recently. Um, the Bible, if you ruminate on it, if you would, and you let it sink in, you don't just read past words like this. They actually have some pretty good meaning. If you look at the verse we just read, it says we were elect by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, and, uh, and, sanct- and redeemed by Jesus Christ, right? First of all, I see the Trinity. I see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all work together to see me come to salvation. You look at that word elect there. What does that word elect mean? Now, I'm not a Calvinist. Don't, don't confuse me here, right? What do Calvinists say? And by the way, it's spreading. Calvinists would say that God chose some. That word elect actually does mean chosen. God chose some to go to heaven, and he chose some to go to hell. But that verse shows us that that's not what it's saying. Look here. It says, elect according to foreknowledge. What does that mean? That God looked down the line of eternity, and God knew those of us that would willingly accept him. And so imagine it like this. God is at this point in time, and we're down there in the year 2000, and whenever you were born, or those of us in the 1900s, when we were born, and God looks down, and there are a bunch of orphans. Why were we orphans according to Scripture? Because of sin. We didn't have a heavenly father, but there's the orphans in the year uh, A.D. 1 and all the way down. And, and God looked down the line and he saw orphans there. A little orphan boy named Joseph Esposito that was not saved. And he looks and he sees an unwilling, undeserving, nothing in, in me, nothing in you that would warrant him to love us. And he looked down and he saw a little orphan jumping up and down. Pick me. Pick me. Pick me. And what did God do? He looked down the line and he said, I know that he's going to come to me and I pick him. And what did God do? In his foreknowledge, he chose me. And in his foreknowledge, even before I was born, he knew. And in his mind and in his heart, he walked down to those of us that would choose him. And as an orphan, he picked us up and he made us a child of the king. That's what God the Father did for our salvation. But it continues and it talks about the sanctification of the spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit of God. If we are saved, every single one of us had a point in our life where we came to a point and we knew. We were without hope. And we were lost. And something pricked on, the heart, on our heart and on our conscience. and said, you need a Savior. You need to be saved. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit draws us to the Father. Does it not? And we had the Holy Spirit draw us. Look here. Elect by the Father. Sanctified by the Spirit. Verse number two, toward the end there, it says, unto obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? He redeemed us. What does redeemed mean? Redeemed means to be bought back, right? Why did I need to be bought back? Because I was a sinner. Said so I'm right. When we were without help, without hope, when we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And what did Jesus Christ do for my salvation? I think back to uh, Brother Chris. Where's Brother? Oh, he's teaching the, the kids right now. Brother Chris White. You guys were talking about it just yesterday, I think. And I think it was Hosea, right? Where he had a wife that was unfaithful. He had purchased to himself a wife, and what'd she do? She went out there, and she played the harlot, and she did the whole nine yards. Because of her sin, she ended up a slave on the auction block. And one day, God said to that preacher, I want you to go back. Though she, she's undeserving, though she was unfaithful, I want you to buy her back. Amen. That's the exact same thing Jesus Christ did to us. Right. He redeemed us. Why? Because we were on the auction block on our way to hell, on our way to be sold, owned by the devil. And what did Jesus Christ do? 
He sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat and he said, I purchased him back. We were chosen by God. We were sanctified by the Spirit, but we were redeemed by Jesus Christ. Thank God that the Father, the Spirit, and the Son loved us enough to save us. Then he talks about heaven. Let's look here. He says, blessed, in verse 3, be God God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope. I was on Santa Fe going about 40 miles an hour. Talk about the brevity of life, right? And uh, a dog, an owner chased his dog, big German shepherd. Nice looking, uh, it might have been mixed, but nice looking dog. Right in front of me. Brother Ross, I slammed on the brakes. This was just about two weeks ago. I slammed on the brakes as hard as I could. Wham, hit that thing. It went flipping, and I thought, oh, my soul. Just killed a dog. I I look, I, I, I... pulled over to the side, made a U-turn, came back. Brother Ross, dog gets back up and takes off again. Owner still chasing it. <laughs> Finally laid down. He goes, he goes, I'm sorry, man. It's all right. It's all right. Then, where's Chris? No joke. It was in his car. I borrowed his car uh, a week later. Same car, and a dog comes right in front of us, lays down, and it's, I'm like, where'd the dog go? Am I going to have to get out and yank this thing? It's something about your car, man. It's not me. It's you. <laughs> Just yesterday, I was on my way to, I was on my way to, uh, faithfulness rally. It's a prayer meeting. And my kids, oh, uh, we come, and, and right as we enter the street, a, a driver comes, going to be 30, 40 miles an hour, just blew a red light. Feet in front of us. Feet in front of us. Barely missed us. Wow, slammed on the brakes so hard. Got me thinking about the brevity of life. Life is brief. Things on this side of eternity will pass. But if you look there... In verse 3, 4, and 5, he starts talking about our home in heaven. We just talked about our salvation. But he, starts, he says, our hope is a lively hope. Though all things can pass away this side of eternity, my hope in heaven will never pass away. It's lively. It's alive. And he says, why? Why is it alive? It's alive because Jesus Christ raised from the dead. He conquered death. And because he's alive, I have a living hope. Amen. He says it's a lively hope. Next, he says, to an inheritance incorruptible. When I think of things that are corruptible, that means it can be destroyed. Thank God that my inheritance and my hope in heaven can never be destroyed. Think of the hardest substance here on earth. What can you think of? Diamonds? Maybe a tungsten ring? Tim, Tim uses a tungsten ring, ring because he's out in the job site. It doesn't scratch, right? Uh, you ever see those? Uh, They're um, testing nuclear bombs, and you see how the palm trees, right? They go down. And when the radiation passes, they pop back up. Amazing, amazing, right? Palm trees and cockroaches, the only two things going to live through a nuclear war when Russia shoots one this way. Um, but you see, even the hardest substance, Second Peter tells us, all the elements one day will be destroyed. They will melt with fervent heat, the Bible says. Will they not? But the Bible says that our inheritance in Christ, my hope in Christ, my salvation in Christ, my eternal home, it's incorruptible. Next, look here. He said it's undefiled. What does it defiled mean? Defiled means to be marred, to be made less valuable. You ever grab a towel? Hate this. My wife knows this. I would rather throw the towel away. And I'm horrible. I'm probably wasteful at this. But uh, you ever pick up a towel, you dry your face, and it was full of mildew? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. No, 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 no. I rewash my face, throw the towel away. It's done. It's dirty. It's corrupt. It's defiled, right? Things on this side of eternity, I've used this illustration before. I don't think I should, Brother Ross, but I will anyways. Um, my buddy who, who, who picked up a sandwich, and, it was, it was, and he didn't know, and he took a bite of it, and it was full of maggots. You say, well, hey, someone said, really? You have to share that? 
That's what you call defiled. Uh, on this side of eternity, things will become defiled. They will become marred. Yes. But the Bible says my blessed hope will never become marred. Right. It's undefiled. Yeah. I love the vivid words he uses to talk about what we have in Christ. Next, one that fadeth not away. And I could talk about that for a long time. Uh, things in this side of eternity are fading. I tell my, tell my wife, I want, uh, I want a, a, a shirt that's unfaded, a white shirt that's unfaded. I want an undershirt that's unfaded. I'm OCD about that. But our return, things fade away. These lights are going to need to be replaced. Right? The, flower, the flowers outside that were planted just a couple weeks ago, they're already fading. Where's Nathaniel? Right? The grass, it fades. The flowers, they wither. But our blessed hope is unfading. Next, reserved. Reserved. How many of you have ever lost a flight? And if you've traveled in the last couple months, you probably have missed a flight, right? How many of you ever missed a flight or your ticket got changed on you or canceled? How many of you have been there? I've been there. Brother Ross, I remember we were traveling through China. And while we were out there, we, uh, we get into a city called Kunming in northwest China, maybe central west China. We're there. We get there at nighttime, and they say, well, there's no more flights going out tonight. We're going to take you to a hotel. I'm thinking, that's a communist China you're talking about, right? So they shuttle us onto a bus. I'm talking, I was George, if he's here. We were like sardines in this bus. They take us to a hotel, Brother Ross, and on the way out of the bus, they say, everybody give us your passport. Give us your passport. <laughs> I need that passport, but I'm trying to make it out of here alive. Took our passports for the night. We get in there, a bunch of us are like, oh, you're all together. You just go stay in the hotel room. So we only had two hotel rooms for the, the whole group. We get in there. There's a shower. It's, 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 a, it's, it's glass. There's no, there's no wall, Brother Ross. Right there. And then when we're, you know, we got duct tape. We're trying to hang the, the, the curtains. And it, it was a bad deal. You say, why? Because our flight got canceled. You know what the Bible says about my blessed hope? And I can, same thing happened to my sister. Same thing happened to me and Tim. We're on our way to Oklahoma. Now, if you're from Oklahoma, God bless you. Brother Ross, it's dark, it, it, it's dark down there. It, it's, it, it's, it's gloomy down there. We were there, Tornado Alley, the whole nine yards. We went out in the middle of the night. First time I ever had Sonic. The only good thing that came out of there. But uh, we get to... We're looking for food. There's, there's no flights going out. They gave us a voucher for the hotel. And me and Tim were just there like, man, this is, what do we do? We don't even know if we're going to be able to make it to our destination the next day. Our flight was canceled. The Bible says about our blessed hope, it's reserved. Yep. It's not reserved by United. It's, not, it's definitely not deserve, or reserved by spirit. You know that thing's getting canceled. Yeah. Not by frontier, because you know you don't have a place on that plane. That thing's not reserved by Southwest. That thing is reserved by God himself. Our name, when we trusted Christ, was put in the Lamb's book of life, and there is a spot in heaven reserved for us. He says it's reserved. Let's continue reading here. Reserved for you who are kept by the power of God. Oh, we could talk about kept. That word kept means guarded. The Bible reminds us. That once we are saved, we are put inside the Father's hand, and no man can pluck us out of the Father's hand. God's power has to be destroyed before we are no longer kept and guarded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's keep going on here. I tell the guys in homiletics class that my introductions are way too long because then the, 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 message doesn't have, the rest of the message doesn't have time. That's okay. Reserve, kept by the power of God, and he said, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed. In the last time. I remember we were traveling with the, with the college singing group. And uh, Mrs. Chim. Mrs. Chim, it was at your home church. And uh, I don't remember. I think the lady was a nurse and the man was a post worker. You might know who they are. I have never been to a home that was more ready, Brother Romero, 
for guests. I'm telling you, they probably had eight rooms in that home. We got there, six rooms, six, six, eight rooms, something like that. We got there, two stories, this big, nice, open foyer. We go downstairs in the morning, and they had Brother Ross, no joke. This is not, I'm, I'm not preaching, I'm telling the truth here. A four-course breakfast, like four full courses. And, you know, we're trying to be, we're trying to be polite, and we're trying to eat, and, man, I, talk about, I have never, Brother Bobby, eaten like that in my life for breakfast. You say, what was it? Man, those people knew that there were guests coming, and they had it ready. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is building a mansion. He goes to prepare a place for us. And right here we see that our inheritance is ready for us. It might be in the last time. That might be today. That might be tomorrow. It might be natural death. It might be the rapture. But it's ready for us. And if you are saved, you can know you've got a home in heaven ready for you. Amen. What's the point of him telling us that? In the last about 10, 15 minutes that I have here, let's look at verse number 7 in a moment. Why does he tell us that? Why does he start the chapter talking about salvation or talking about heaven? Why does he play it up and then he talks about trials? He plays it up and he talks about suffering. He encourages us and then he talks about some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. Peter's purpose in writing these verses about salvation and writing about our hope isn't just so we can enjoy or rejoice about what we have ahead of us. It's so that my perspective and my living can be right in the present. When I understand what I have in Christ, my perspective is right. When I understand the mercy I found, my perspective is right. When I understand the grace that I have, my perspective is right. When I understand eternity is coming my way, that this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through, my perspective is right. Because of this blessed hope that we have through Christ, our perspective is right. I want to look at four things. You say, you say, Brother Joseph, you said 10 to 15 minutes, four things. I know how you preach. Your introduction took 25 minutes. I understand the time, but I think we're going to get it in. I want us to look at four relationships on this side of eternity where our perspective will be right if we can keep in mind our blessed hope. If we can keep in mind what Christ has done for us. And if we can keep in mind the fact that we're not, we are not uh, a citizens here, we're just a passing through. Number one, we can look. Our relationship is different to the trials and the troubles that come our way. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 6 and verse number 7. Look what he says here. Right after he talks about heaven, right after he talks about our blessed hope, he goes into something totally different. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. I want to preach on this. I don't have time. But if you look here, again, these words are rich. He says, he's talking about suffering. He says, though now for a season. By the way, the things that we are going through are just for a season. Just for a season. Do you notice that the trials and troubles of life, they come and they go, and they come and they go. You say, well, I have something terminal. I have something lifelong. As a child of God, and in the and in the length of eternity, it's just a season. Just a season. He says, for a season, if need be. He says, you know, some trials are necessary. There are some things that will not refine us. Like a, We will not ever be what God wants us to be unless we go through that trial. He says, it's, if need be. He says, this thing is necessary. There are some trials that we need to make us patient, which produces godliness, the Bible tells us. There are some trials that we need to make us more Christ-like. There are some trials that we need. Honestly, someone told me this happened recently. Just to humble us. How many of you are like me? You're naturally proud, right? 
Sometimes you need just a good dose of some, some, something that God allows in our life to make us what we ought to be. He said, he said, for a season, he said, if need be, and he said, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, all different types of temptations. Brother Chim talked about this Thursday night. He said, your trial isn't my trial. My trial isn't your trial. Well, we all have trials, all different types of trials, according as God allows them. Look here in verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, it, perisheth excuse me, though it be tried with fire, might be found again. Why do we go through trials? He points to eternity. Might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Yes. Trials are a part of life. Trials will come. But my response as a child of God is different when I think about my blessed hope. I think of, for time, I'll skip some stuff here. I, I heard an illustration of a, by the way, people are watching. The lost is watching how we go through trials. Our unsaved family members are watching how we go through trials. By the way, another brother or sister in Christ that might not be as strong in the faith as you are, they're watching how you go through trials. And God might just, Brother Jim talked about this Thursday night, God might just allow something to go on in your life because of how it's going to be a blessing to somebody else. There's a missionary that went to Africa, and they went and they, and they shared the gospel, and they witnessed, and they toiled, and for five, five or seven years, no converts. Can you imagine that? I ain't trying to move. If I'm going to go to the other side of the world, I want some fruit for that, right? And no converts. They preached, and they loved, and they witnessed. Long story short, they, a, their wife died. Mrs. Green, she died. It was seven children, five or seven children there. And they asked. They said, you need to go back home. The husband and the children said, no, God's called us to Africa. We're going to stay here. Amen. We're going to stay. We're not going anywhere. But at that funeral, all the African nationals gathered around. And they saw the grace. They saw the mercy. And they saw the light in that family as all the children gathered around, young children, and the dad to bury their mom. The very next week, a big crowd showed up at church. They said, what's the difference? They said, you know, you told us that God was good to live for. Now we see he's good to die for too. You say, what happened? That trial made a difference in the lives of many others. We don't sorrow as other people because of our blessed, blessed hope. I could talk about Pastor Wilkerson just up the road before he was um, called a pastor in Indiana. Uh, he had eight children. His oldest son was on his way to serve the Lord. He was on his way back on, I think, the 5 freeway. Maybe it was the 101. I don't remember. Somewhere up there. And what happened? They were in a Jeep. A lady turned right in front of him. The Jeep flipped. Something happened to his lungs. His oldest son was taken from him. Just like that. Went to heaven. Some of us were at the funeral. Right? You remember when Pastor Wilkerson and his wife got behind the pulpit and they sang the song, Even in the Valley, God is Good. I'll never forget that. I was younger. I'll never forget that. And God has used that man greatly and given him influence that he probably would never have had if he had not gone through that trial. Number one, our relationship to the trials of life. Number two, number two, let's move quickly. First Peter chapter one, verses 13 to 16. Our relationship to this present world. Let's go quickly. Verse 13, wherefore, we learn, we learn in preaching class, if you see wherefore, ask. What is the wherefore, therefore, right? And so that's talking about what he just talked to us about. Wherefore, 
Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end of grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Like you used to live, you should live no more if you've been saved. Next, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Verse number 16, a well-known verse that we do well to memorize and live. But because it is written, be ye holy, why? For I am holy. He says, wherefore, because you have this blessed hope, you ought to live differently. We don't just suffer differently. We live differently in the bad times and in the good times. And here's the question for today. Is there a difference in our life, between our life and the people out there that don't know Christ? There should be. What is holiness? Holiness means sanctified, set apart, different. Does it not? Before we were saved, we were willing to go up the corporate ladder and step on people to get there. We don't do that anymore because of our blessed hope. Before salvation, my life was lived for my status and my things and my vacations. I'm all for those things. I'm not against them. But that's not my identity because of my blessed hope. I'm going to see Christ one day, and I'm going to give an account of my life to Jesus Christ. I might want to live like it. There ought to be a difference, by the way, about the way we think about what we watch on television. I don't have my phone. My wife has it back there. On what we pull up on our phones, there ought to be a difference but in how we raise our children. Why? Because I'm raising those children for the day when they stand before God, and I'm responsible for that day as well. There ought to be a difference. He says, look, if you know that that day's coming, you know that you have salvation, you know you're going to stand before God, be holy, because I'm holy. I want to ask, how are we different in the way we think, in the way we talk, in our life's pursuits. Now, if you're a businessman, there's nothing wrong with making money. By the way, if God's called you to make money, make more of it, right? Uh, We have some great businessmen in our church that fund the work of God in ways that you'll never know. They quietly give and they quietly make a difference. By the way, if God's called you to do it, do it. But whereas before I wanted to climb up to make a name for myself and have all the nice things, now I'm doing it with a greater purpose because I'm serving the King of Kings. So number two, our Relationship with this present world. We'll, we'll skip some stuff for sake of time. Next, in our relationship with each other, let's look at verse 22. Verse 22, he says, seeing. Again, this is all one chapter, all goes together. Actually, if you look at chapter 2, it goes right into chapter 2. Wherefore, we won't get there today. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a Pure heart, fervently. Amen. You know, I talked about this in our Sunday school class today. It, we use the verse, if one provide not for his own, he's worse than an infidel denied the faith. You all know that verse? Um, that's actually talking about our spiritual family more than it's talking about our physical family. Um, I'll give a couple of illustrations. I'll go to the last one for sake of time. You ever have a Riff in a relationship at home? Yes, no? Y'all fix those halos. Come on now. <clears throat> now, I know you husbands and wives. Never, never, never. And I wouldn't know what that's like either. Right, Jen? <clears throat> Thank you. Um, we're a family. The Bible says we ought to have fervent love one towards another. Amen. Let me encourage us as a church. Do you know what the Bible says? How do men out there know that we are his disciples. Our love one towards another. Is it not? 
By the way, let's leave off, you know, I can, you can find plenty to criticize about me. And on the flip side, we can find something to criticize about you, right? It's not what we're called to do. It's not what we're called to do. If that stuff comes your way, I talked about it this morning, if that stuff comes your way, Someone came to me recently, uh, Brother Ross, I, share, I won't share all the details here, but they said, they said, hey, I heard about X, Y, and Z going on, right? I said, well, I said, here's the deal. When God is doing something good in a church, Satan's going to try to sow discord. And in, you know, in, in Christian terms, you know what we call that? We call that gossip. Yeah. I said, so here, here's how we not let Satan get a, head, uh, get a foot in the door. Next time it comes your way, squelch it. And go talk to the right people about it, right? And so, but this is the point that I want to make here today. My uncle uh, would talk about how, you know, there's the Marines, right? Hoorah. And then there's the Army. And then, you know, Airborne Ranger. And then there's a, what were you? Navy, right? Okay, Navy. And then, oh, we're, we're you know, Delta Force. And we're all these different things, right? And when you're out of wartime, when you're not doing anything, they fight. They go to the bars and they fight against each other. Oh, our Marines, they're Navy coming in, squids and all this kind of stuff. You know, they start fighting, right? Uh, and, oh, you know, these guys in there. What happens when you're in the trench? You're a band of brothers right then. When you are engaging the enemy, <laughs> there's no infighting going on. You know, I think why a lot of times little scuffles happen, interpersonal scuffles, not in the fight. Not in the fight. God's given us a purpose and a vision and a fight to engage, not the culture war, but to engage the enemies of darkness. And God's called our church to make a difference in this city. God's called our church to make a difference in this state. And God's called our church to make a difference on the other side of the world. And if every one of us will do our part. By the way, there's a part for every single one of you. If God's called you to be in this church this morning, there's a part that you ought to play. And the Bible says that every single member is important. And if one of you is lacking, the Bible says we all feel that lack. Let me challenge every single one of us. Let's get in the fight. Talk to your Sunday school teacher. Talk to pastor. Talk to one of us. What's my part? How can I be a part? How can I make a difference? Because I guarantee it's like those dogs in the back of the truck, right? They're frightened. They're going at each other's faces on the way hunting. But as soon as they see that raccoon, man, they're working together. Are they not? Likewise, as God's people, let's get in the fight. Let's pursue the vision God's given to our church, and that'll fix a lot of unity issues. We'll be going the same way, in the same direction, for the same cause, for a higher purpose. And finally, and I'm going to let us go here with this. Finally, because of our blessed hope, our relationship ought to be different with this book. With this book. If you look in verse number 23 to 25, he ends with this, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, even in eternity. For the all flesh is as grass, all these things are going to pass away. The glory of man, the flower of grass, even we are going to fade away. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of God endureth forever. What's he saying? We're temporal. This book is eternal. And if I, as a temporal, fading being, want to learn about eternal living, I need to be a person in this book. I need to be a person in this book. There's a, a, a book that came out recently that talks about Muslim kids in the United States. By the way, the Muslim religion, I'll close the Bible because I'm done with this. Muslim population is exploding. Uh, by 2050, they anticipate it will grow by 70%. Christianity only by 30%. But here in the United States, talks about a couple young Muslim kids, eight and nine years old, memorizing 
multiple four and five books of the Quran in Arabic. They're English-speaking kids. I thought, you know, Brother Ross, that's convicting to me. I'm supposed to be a preacher over here. Five and six books in a different language? Can you imagine trying to memorize five or six books of the New Testament in Greek? Five or six books of the Old Testament in Hebrew? Why? Because they really believe that that prophet wrote that book from their God. By the way, a false God, right? Muhammad's tomb is still found in Saudi Arabia. We serve the living God. They, they serve a false God with a false prophet that's already been dead a long time ago. But they believe that that book should be how they order their life. And so when they're 8 and 9 and 10, they start memorizing books, a lot of them, books of the Bible. We wonder why they're making such an impact, not for right, for false religion around this world. Imagine if God's people, if we would train our kids like that. Imagine if we would make this book such a part of our lives. We say, God, I know where I'm going someday. I'm temporal. This book's eternal. And this is going to show me how to live for the place I'm going to be in one day. Let's be people of the book. Let's stand together and let's pray. So thankful for my salvation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you would, please. I'm thankful for my salvation. I'm thankful for my home in heaven that's coming someday. But because I know that, when the trials come, I can live differently. When I think about this present world, I live differently. My relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, I live differently. My relationship to this book, maybe one of these areas, God spoke to our heart this morning. I need to be a person of the book. Maybe you're going through a trouble or a trial. You know, God can use that trouble or that trial for his good, for your good for his glory and the good of other people that are watching. Maybe you need to say, you know what? I haven't had the right relationship with the word of God. And the reason why I'm so temporal-minded and I don't live for eternity is because I'm not a person in the book. Every single one of us, no matter what we do for our life purpose, we can be people of the book. I don't know what God might have spoken to you about today. But if God's spoken, why don't you come to this altar? You can deal with him. And while people are coming, let me say this. If... Maybe this kind of went over your head because there's never been a time in your life where you trusted Christ. Let me say it this way. Let me ask you this way. Are you 100% sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Or would you say, no, I'm not sure. I have some doubts. You say, pray for me. Raise your hand. We'd love to show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. Thank you so much for, first of all, your word that teaches us, that encourages us, that challenges us. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have of heaven because of the salvation that you so freely gave us. I pray, Lord, that we would take some of the thoughts this morning, apply them to our lives. If nothing else, help us to love you more because of who you are, because of what you've done and what you do for us. Please be with us as we go our ways today. Thank you so much. Bring us back together again tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.